Well, today's message is uh, Odds Are 99 to 1, Parable of the Lost Sheep. And uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Jim O'Leary. Uh, I attend Lifehouse Church, and I'm on the board uh, here for Lifehouse and Lifeline. And uh, I, uh, occasionally they let me sing with the worship team and uh, a few other things. And so uh, I want you to feel welcome this morning. Pastor Evan is recuperating at home. He's obviously watching the live stream because he's already texted me twice. <laughs> he commented on the fact that I'm wearing a tie. He doesn't wear a tie, and he didn't like that. Well, today would be my dad's 95th birthday, and uh, my dad's been gone for seven, almost eight years, and so I had to wear a tie with a hint of green in it in honor of my father. So uh, that's why I'm wearing the tie today, but uh, nonetheless, let's get into today's message. We've got a little bit of time to work with here. Uh, let's talk about being lost and found. Uh, if you put that uh, picture up there, the beautiful picture of my uh, second grandchild, Shiloh. Shiloh is the second of seven grandchildren. She'll have a little brother or sister by the end of the day tomorrow. Mom is being induced uh, for their fifth child. Uh, on July 4th, uh, 2015, our family went to uh, Lakeside. Uh, it's a Chautauqua community up near Port Clinton, a place we love to vacation. The whole family comes, all 16, 17, 18, depending on how many extra guests are coming. And we happened to go uh, this particular year early enough that we could enjoy the 4th of July celebration. They have a huge parade that includes the residents there as well as guests from outside. There are several thousand people in this little one-square-mile area called Lakeside, Ohio. And the kids were all excited. The parents were excited. Everybody got dressed up in, in their red, white, and blue, and they had their bikes, and they had their stuff, and they got involved, and they got in the parade. We started on one end of the campus, and they went across the other end of the campus. And when we finished... We started picking up. There's Carson, and there's Abigail, and there's Benjamin, and there's, and there's no Shiloh. Now, Shiloh, the picture that you saw there, saw there was last week. She's going to be 10 years old. Uh, she obviously was three years younger and, and a little bit smaller in size. So, you know, for the first couple of minutes, it's like, okay, some other adult has them. It's my wife and I, my four kids, uh, the two oldest, their spouses, and then friends of my son and daughter that came with us. So we've got it covered, right? Five minutes go by, still no Shiloh. Ten minutes go by, still no Shiloh. Now, this is not that big a territory. And so panic is beginning to ensue. And if you're a parent and you've gone to an amusement park or someplace, you know the terror that I'm talking about. And so... 20 minutes go by, still no Shiloh. We've now called the authorities and the police who were initially, along with the fire department involved in the parade, are now putting together teams of people to start to look for Shiloh. Finally, finally, after 25 minutes, Shiloh appeared. A kind elderly woman had been at the end of the parade and when the parade ended, Shiloh kept going while everybody else stopped, it went back the opposite way, and she just kept going. She thought, hey, the, the parade's still going. And she got to the end, didn't recognize anybody, and, of course, was drawn to tears in this 
a kind woman decided to grasp a hold of her and, and to uh, ask her, you know, where are your parents? And she asked her where she was staying, and she was able to tell him where she was staying. So this woman was able to take her and start to walk down to where the house was that we were renting, and we were able to see her. And oh my goodness, the relief, the joy. I mean, the rest of that day was one of, whew, oh my goodness. Because you know, as a parent, as a grandparent, where's your mind go? Your mind goes, this is a cute little blonde-haired girl. You know, who's going to walk off with this child? And there she was. And, and we all hugged on her and loved on her. And I'm sure at some point in the day, she got a stern lecture from Mama. <laughs> the other thing that you need to realize about that story, which is kind of interesting, is that my son and his wife had just three months before that lost a child at birth. And so Mama, looking for Shiloh, was like losing Philip all over again. And so the panic that I had was minuscule compared to what Kirsten had. So there's great joy in the O'Leary household because we found Shiloh. So today we're going to talk about three parables, and we're going to look at Luke, the 15th chapter. And if you have your sermon notes, uh, they're uh, here before you, cream-colored with all kinds of wonderful writing on them. If not, you can look up the Bible app. If you go in and, and select events, click on Lifeline, it'll give you the notes. But some of the things that we're going to talk about and some of the scripture verses that we're going to use uh, will fall outside of what we were able to put in the notes. So if you have your Bible with you or if you want to Google, uh, look at that. We should look at all of Luke chapter 15 because there's a lot to get into here. So let's start with a parable. A parable is a short, simple story designed to communicate a spiritual truth, religious principle, or moral lesson, a figure of speech in which truth is illustrated by a comparison or an example drawn from everyday experiences. Jesus used parables all the time, and they were done in order to make complex issues simple in order to make religious leaders think, which was the purpose of of this particular one. Luke 15, as I said, has three parables within it, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. The parables in this particular circumstance are designed to answer what the Pharisees' concerns are. If you go back and take a look at Zacchaeus and the fact that uh, Jesus decided to go to his house with a tax collector, we start in verse 1 with... Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this is what Jesus is hearing. So the parable of the lost sheep is Jesus' defense to the Pharisees' claims. No argument tells more powerfully upon men than one which they can take from everyday life. And that's what Jesus does here. These Pharisees would know shepherds. They would know the purpose of having the shepherds and dealing with the sheep. So the lesson you learn in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son 
depends. Not that kind of depends. <laughs> it depends on the perspective that you look at the parable. If you're looking from the perspective of the shepherd, which we'll do with the first two points, you get one perspective. If you look at it from the perspective of the 99, or what I call the herd, you might get a different perspective. And then finally, the one that's lost and is found. They have a whole different perspective that we'll take some time to look at. So let's start with that first point. Odds are the shepherd was not satisfied with just saving the 99. And if you continue in Luke, the 15th chapter here, you'll see in verse 3 and 4, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, sheep are not considered to be the brightest of creatures. I don't know if you've been exposed to them, but they're kind of interesting in smell, smelly kind of animals. That doesn't rent, enter into the issue here today, but the fact is they're particularly vulnerable. They're vulnerable because they don't have an outward uh, line of defense. They don't have any horns. They can bite you, but that's about it. They're not fast. They're not going to outrun you. Even me at 61, they're not going to outrun me. Well, maybe some of them would. But they're not built to fight, and they have no speed, and they have no sense of direction. So when they wander off, like Shiloh did at the end of that parade, they're going to keep going, and they're going to keep going, and they're going to keep going. And what's going to happen? If the shepherd doesn't go after him or her, what's going to happen? Well, they're at the perils of what is out there. And so we know that that is... um, translated into us as lost individuals. So this is what makes that parable so powerful for the Pharisees because they do understand what this uh, story is all about as far as leaving the 99 to go after the one. So the parable is not written for lost of humanity as a whole, but it's used, if you please, in the first sense, it's written in Christ's own sheep. Notice it says, suppose you have a hundred sheep. This is not a hired shepherd. This is the owner that's the shepherd. So they take this personally. The idea of having the lost sheep is a personal thing to them. Meanwhile, the sheep itself is oblivious to the shepherd's concerns. It doesn't realize that it's lost and potentially in peril. Yet, while the sheep is lost, the shepherd begins the search for the sheep. Does it sound familiar? not just because of the story that I shared today. But Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, he died for our sins, setting away to eternal life when we did not even know that we were lost. I don't know about you, but when I was saved at age 21, I didn't know I was lost. I was doing just fine, thank you. Had a job, had a little money, had a place to stay. I had friends. I got to enjoy life, and then one day, a good friend of mine shared the gospel message with me, and when he did, for the first time in my life, I realized I was lost, and that I had to take some steps, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 
One of the reasons I really enjoy this uh, song that the worship team did, this reckless love, is that it depicts Jesus' never-ending strife, striving to find us as lost sheep. That bridge, there's no shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up. There's no wall you won't kick down or lie he won't tear down to come after you. Now I have to tell you, I think that the song is, is wrongly titled. It's called Reckless Love. I think it should be Relentless Love. But try it, it's hard to sing. <laughs> reckless Love is easier to sing. So if Jesus is not satisfied, then why are we? Are we satisfied that our family members, our friends, our neighbors are going to hell? We leave the 99 and go after the one, the two, that family member, that coworker. You, know, you got a great opportunity tonight to come with the trunk or treat. It's an opportunity. There's going to be people here that don't know Jesus. That's why we do outreach, right? We do that so that we can offer the opportunity. So we love on them, give them a little candy, get them sugared up, and then we give them the gospel message. That's a great combination, I think. A little cider. It's cold. It's wet. I know that. But it's a great opportunity for the church to be the church, to be that shepherd, to be the one that goes off and looks for the, nine, for the, for the one. But in another sense, what about that person that you've been sitting next to? that isn't there anymore. It's been two weeks, three weeks, and you don't see him. You ever thought thought about making that phone call? You know, the enemy of our soul is always looking for ways to pick people off. And the easiest way to do that is for when you allow yourself to be isolated. When you stop going to church, when you stop being involved in fellowship, when you go off, on your own, and you think, I can do this. I can watch Joel Olstein on Sunday morning on TV. Please don't do that. What about that one? Well, Pastor Evan will call him. Yeah, he will. He'll call him, text him, email him. But you know what? You love somebody enough You're going to make that call yourself. Hey, haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Everything okay? Love to see you on Sunday. I've got a young man that attends LifeHouse that I uh, worked with at Lake Hospital for years and years and years. He stops in my office every now and again to say hi to me, but he hasn't been at church for six months. I know why. He's working on a project he thinks that he can only get done by taking the extra time on Sunday. I keep trying to tell him, that's not God's timing. If you took the time to come to church, God would work out your timing for you. You'd be further along. He came in on Friday. I said, I'm preaching this week. Why don't you come? So in about 45 minutes, I'm going to find out if he's there. (laughs) So... Our shepherd wasn't satisfied, and neither should we. The second thing is, odds are that the shepherd rejoices over finding that one sheep, that one sheep. 
If you continue in Luke, the 15th chapter, in verses 5 and 6, it says, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. As I said earlier, when we found Shiloh, we were so happy that we hugged and loved on her the better part of that day. And really all of them, because we realized that at any time, uh, we could potentially have the same thing happen with one of the other ones. But do you know that feeling of having lost something so dear to you, and when you found it, the great relief and joy that you had? Did you call somebody? Did you do a little dance? We do that when we find files at the office that we can't find. That was supposed to be funny, but that's okay. The circumstances are so joy-filled, you just have to share it with others. Verse 6 tells us that he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there's more rejoicing in the heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people, persons, who do not need to repent. If you ever go to our baptisms, one of the things that we do is when the person is baptized, when they get dunked, they come out of that water as a new creation. We cheer with great joy with them as a new creation. That's what's going on here, that joy. Now, don't make any mistake here. Do not suppose that the Lord loves one soul that has wandered from the 99 and preserved it by his grace from going astray but does not care for the other 99. He thinks the 99 times that of the 99. He loves each one equally, precious to him, just like a parent loves each of their children. But when one is sick, when one is lost, we'll leave those and we'll go. Jesus follows up this parable with one of the lost coin. And here the woman originally had 10 coins and lost one. Well, so what? The coins were her dowry. That's how she's going to get married. She needed 10. She didn't have 10. So she couldn't get married. So she looked and she looked and she looked. She swept the floor, and she found it. When she does, in verse 9, it says, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found the lost coin. In the same way, I tell you the rejoicing, the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Does this sound familiar? First parable ends the same way. Great joy, calling the neighbors and rejoicing in heaven. And part of that call on your friends and neighbors is to also, not just to share the good news about the finding, but the good news. This is your opportunity. This is your open door. So odds are that the shepherd rejoices over finding the one just as we should. Third, odds are the shepherd had to listen to complaining and grumbling from the herd. The third parable in this trilogy told by Jesus is in response to the Pharisees is called the prodigal son. You're familiar with the story. A rich man has two sons. 
The younger comes to him and says, give me my inheritance. I want to go and I want to live life and I want to do all that there is to do. And he does. And he goes. And you know what happens. It all fell apart. And before he knew it, he's feeding pigs. And he decides, you know what? (laughs) I can do this at my dad's house. I don't have to do this here. And I get, I mean, even the servants get fed better than, than I'm getting fed right now. So he decides to repent of his sin and he returns home seeking forgiveness from his father. And the father's response is to throw a big party, to call the neighbors, to call his friends. Again, here we go. To rejoice over the one that was lost is now found. So everything's perfect. We're in Shangri-La, right? Everything's perfect. Ah, but there's the one. The faithful older brother was not happy that the brother who received his inheritance left him holding the bag, and he's back. He's being showered with great joy. Follow with me if you have Luke 15 open, verses 25 through 29. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? Well, your brother, he's come home. Your father has killed the fatted calf and because he was found safe and sound, the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What did I get? You ever find yourself saying that? What happened to me? I have five older brothers. You know what I got going up? A lot of hand-me-downs. My brothers are bigger than I am. It's just really hard to walk around with pants that (laughs) cover your shoes. I sort of look like a, I'm not going there. So he became angry. He loses his cool. He blows his top. This is the ultimate indignation. His brothers returned home looking terrible, smelling like pigs, and he gets a party? I'm not going in there. The self-righteous smugness of the older brother not only mirrors the Pharisees that Jesus is speaking to in this story, but also many in our culture today, maybe even some of us. As Christians, we sometimes are angry with people who sin. While we justify our own faults and minimize our own sin in its place in our lives, we hurl condemnation on those who sin differently than we do. Just remember that cows don't lay eggs. Sinners sin because they're sinners. It's their nature. But we know that with redemption and sanctification, that we can live without sin. We don't often like people who sin differently than we do. A well-known pastor who'd been asked to mentor uh, former President Clinton when he was in office was approached by one of his church members after a service. He's talking to a group of people outside, and the man interrupted the pastor's conversation and blurted out, how can you minister to such an immoral man? Quick-witted pastor replied, I know, you are pretty irritating, but 
but I'm doing the best I can to love you anyway. Well, I got to tell you, there's a time in my life when I would have been that guy that would have interrupted and said, how can you minister to an immoral man? Might as well have been looking in the mirror. God puts people into places to speak truth into people's lives that we don't understand, and that's what Jesus was doing here with the tax collectors and the sinners. He's speaking truth into their lives. Pharisees didn't like that. We're the same way. We need to stop our grumbling. How do they know that we're Christians? By our boycotting, our judgmental bantering, our self-righteous slandering of, of people who sin differently than we do? No. We don't have to condone the sin, but we can reach out to the sinner. That's what the gospel message is all about. So we need to stop our grumbling and complaining and look for ways that we can advance the kingdom. You know, one of the things I've been encouraged by is that President Trump not only invites Christian pastors to the White House, but he allows them to pray over him. Now, we don't have any indication that he's made a profession of faith, but I'm still praying for him, and I hope you are as well. Because we want to have godly men and women into positions of authority, which is why I hope you're all planning to vote here coming up in a couple weeks. Ten days, nine days, eight days? Nine. Whatever. Week from Tuesday. But it brings up one of my favorite scripture verses out of Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There's a time in my life where I went to a church where that wasn't the perspective. And so that's what my desire is. Again, not to wink at the sin. You don't want to do that. So odds are there's grumbling that the shepherd hears, and it's from us, but we can overcome that. And then fourth, our shepherd found an exhausted and relieved lost sheep. In July of this year, 12 members of the Thai soccer team was trapped deep in a cave that was overcome by flooding due to rain. It took 18 days in the life of a volunteer swimmer, but they got those teens and their coach out. If you saw pictures of them, you saw how utterly exhausted but relieved they were. The smiles on their faces are probably still there today. Running from God is exhausting. Just like Adam and Eve who hid from God when they sinned in the garden. We too try to hide from God. Do you know how ridiculous that sounds? Just as it was for Adam and Eve. But Psalm 139 reminds us Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. It goes on from there. What about Saul? Saul of Tarsus? You know him probably now as Paul. He's on his way to Damascus. Jesus strikes him down. Blinds him. And in Acts chapter 9, 
there's this colloquy between the two of him. He fell to the ground, meaning Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And he went to see a man named Ananias who was also given a vision that Saul was coming. But he was a little nervous about that meeting. You got to really trust God to go and meet with somebody that you know has been killing fellow Christians. He prayed over him and the scales fell. And from that moment forward, Paul was not an advocate for the Pharisees, but he was an advocate for righteousness for Jesus. Wrote most of the New Testament. If you came to the Bible study this week, you'd know uh, some of that from Pastor McVicker. We've all been lost sheep like the, like the prodigal. We all ask the question, how did I get here? And just like the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 17, when he came to a census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And yet I'm starving to death. I will go back to my father. Repent. Aren't you tired yet? Aren't you ready to come to the father? And then finally, Odds are that the shepherd is still looking for the lost. I read this email this week. It wasn't sent to me, but uh, it makes the point. One friend says to another, I don't think God wants me anymore. I've gone too far. How do I get back? I'm so lost and dirty and defiled and bad. I can't seem to do anything right. What should you say if a friend approaches you that way? They think they've sinned so grievously that there's no coming back? Could you give them hope for the promises of God? Or would you just say, I hope things get better? To someone who believes God doesn't love or want them anymore, someone who believes they're dirty and defiled, they have to be told God never gives up on them. And that's what the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son is all about. He's not gonna give up. Let me close with this scripture verse. Ephesians chapter two. At what time you were dead because of your sins, you followed the sinful ways of the world and obeyed the leader of the power of darkness. He is the devil who is now working in the people who do not obey God. At one time, all of us lived to please our own selves, our old selves. We gave in to what our bodies and minds wanted. We were sinful from birth like all other people and would suffer from the anger of God. But it is by grace ye are saved, not by anything that you can do. So if you're running, if you're exhausted, stop running. Unless you're gonna run to the Savior, run to the cross. The central point of today's message actually candy came up with something is lost and when it's found we're happy now that may sound really simplistic but that's the beauty of the gospel message it has a simplicity that allows for us that when we're lost to be found heavenly father I thank you for the men and women that are here today for their faithfulness, their desire 
to draw closer to you. Whether they're in the 99 or the 1, you know that. But my prayer this morning is that if there is the one here that does not know you, that they will pray, forgive me of my sin, turn me from my wickedness, come into my life, change my life, make me part of the hundred, save my soul, and have mercy upon me. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.